Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast, powered by Kasoon Carr. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Donya French. Donya keeps herself very busy. She is a lawyer, mentor, startup, and VC expert, lecturer of the GDL and the QLTS. And if all of that is not enough, she is also the host of the highly popular Door to Law YouTube channel. So a very big welcome, Donya. Hello, Rob. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very well. Really pleased to have you on the podcast. And before we go through all of your amazing work, we must start with our customary question on the Legally Speaking podcast. On the scale of one to 10, 10 being very real, how real would you rate the hit TV series Suits in terms of its reality (laughs) reflection of the law? Yeah, I love this question. I, I love Suits as well. And every time I watch it, I'm like, how is my life not as glamorous as this show? So based on that, I would probably rate it a four. Four? Okay. I was surprised you gave it that high. I thought you were going to give it a, a real two, but I guess you like a bit of Hollywood as well, right? Yeah, okay, occasionally. <laughs> maybe I'm just trying to be generous. I don't know. <laughs> on the bad days, maybe it would probably be a two. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. So listen, let's let's jump into it because there's a lot to get through. But as we like to with all of our listeners, um, let's start at the beginning. Tell us a bit about your family background and, and upbringing. Yeah, sure. And first, actually, I have to say I'm very excited to be on this podcast too, by the way. Just wanted to mention that. Aww, um, thanks. So I was born in the UK. Both of my parents are actually Tunisian. And so they, they've been in the UK for now. I don't want to give my age away, but uh, <laughs> over 30 years. And so, you know, most of my education was was in the UK. And, you know, we'll come on to my work experience later, I'm sure. But I you know, worked in the UK um, before eventually moving to the Middle East, which is where I'm based right now. I would say that I had a very modest upbringing. Um, I grew up in a small town known as Great Yarmouth in Norfolk. A seaside town, very pleasant, you know, to live in growing up. But as you grow older, quite limited opportunities. So it was challenging in that respect for me, who I guess was quite ambitious growing up. And I grew up on a councillor's day, which I often mention to people because I, you know, I studied at Cambridge University. And I think sometimes there's this perception, oh, if you studied at Cambridge, your parents must be happy or something, which is absolutely uh, not the case. My mum actually raised me single-handedly. She, you know, she couldn't speak a word of English when she first arrived to Tunisia. It was actually tough for her bringing me up. And, you know, financially, it was a struggle. During my childhood, I was very much focused on um, my education and using that as a tool for social mobility, I guess. Right. And did you always, moving on from that sort of background, did you always want to go into the, the legal profession? I admit, I'm not one of those people that, you know, when I was younger, I said, oh, I, you know, I really want to be a lawyer. It's not something that I had always wanted to do. I think it's something that kind of came about later on, actually, probably when I was around the age of 18. And um, so when I was doing my A-levels, the idea of law started to creep in. Honestly, I wasn't very sure what I wanted to do growing up. One minute I wanted to be a banker. The next minute, I wanted to be like a TV presenter. Then I wanted to be a pop star. <laughs> All these random dreams and visions that you have. So it's only really as I got into university, I started to think more seriously, okay, like what should I actually do with my life? And um, I would say law almost feels like it was fate because there were a number of events that happened in my life that almost kind of pushed me in the direction of law. And I often say this kind of funny story where my mum was on a plane, wasn't with her. 
but she was sat next to a lady and they were having a conversation and this lady told my mom your daughter wants a really great career with lots of travel then she should be a commercial lawyer she made it sound very very glamorous almost like suits as well <laughs> that was one of the things that happened and initially made me kind of look into commercial law I had a lot of friends also looking into law at that time which encouraged me to do that and a lot of my friends telling me you'd be a great lawyer, your skill set is like really aligned with that of a lawyer. So kind of all of that put together and then me doing my research and looking into it, that kind of led me down the path of law. Okay, you've obviously had a fantastic career thus far, but let's sort of go back a, a little bit because I understand, you know, having trained and qualified with a law firm, which is now known, as we all know, as Aiken Gump in London, after a year or so, you then decided to move out to the Middle East. So what sparked that motivation? And tell us a bit about those experiences. You're right. I trained with a firm now known as Aiken Gump. I actually trained with Bingham McCutcheon, some people may know, and then at the London office merged with Aiken. So upon qualification, I joined Aiken Gump and I had a fantastic experience, you know, during the around three years. The firm had amazing opportunities, including going to Tokyo on secondment. I still have very fond memories of my time there. But in my heart, I guess I always wanted to work in the Middle East. Uh, I think partly due to my background, with my parents being Tunisian, I grew up speaking French and Arabic. I also decided to actually study French and Arabic at Cambridge too. So I have an interest in Middle Eastern culture and, and history and, and so on. And I've always wanted to work abroad too. I think that initial interest in having an, an international career probably started when I was at university and I had the opportunity to have a year abroad and I spent a few months working in Paris and then studying in Tunis as well. So already that kind of started to entice me, I guess, into moving abroad. And then I had my comment in Tokyo as a trainee for six months, which was an amazing experience. And so for me, the thing that was kind of almost left on my list was I really want to work in, in the Middle East and see what it's about. And so when I qualified, really wasn't planned actually at all. It was far too early in my career to think about the Middle East. I was very much focused on just trying to get as much experience as possible in London. But again, call it fate, but I was just online and this opportunity came up. They were looking for a corporate lawyer in the Middle East, in Dubai. They didn't mention the firm. There wasn't really much details, but I was kind of intrigued. So I, you know, I just sent an email and, and it kind of went from there, really. And I ended up at Latham and Watkins, so fantastic firm. And been in Dubai now for five years, which is much longer than I planned, I have to say. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you've done a really, really sort of sterling job of explaining and articulating that. So thanks, because that'll be really interesting to our listeners. I guess what would also be interesting to know as from those experiences, what are some of the main differences you experienced from working as a corporate associate in London for a US firm versus working as a corporate associate in Dubai? Yeah, that's a good question. In terms of working environment, I would say perhaps working in Dubai is, is slightly more relaxed. I don't know, maybe it's the, the good weather, the sunshine makes everyone feel <laughs> happy. We all know that sometimes in US firms, there's a lot of high pressure, a lot of responsibility. So naturally, everyone can get a bit stressed, myself included. That still happens, obviously, in Dubai. Everyone works just as hard. I would say that because sometimes I think there's a perception and you have a lot of people who want to come out to Dubai because they think it's going to be a lot of fun and, and glamour. And you know, if there are elements to that. You can definitely have a nice lifestyle. But if you're going to be working for a law firm, not just a US law firm, any law firm, you are going to be working hard. 
So in that respect, there's not a huge difference. I still work long hours in Dubai, just as much as I did in London. But I would just say the office environment is just a little bit laid back. It's very difficult to kind of pinpoint exactly what that difference is. But it's it's just a feeling. I think everyone who works in Dubai kind of probably would know what I mean by that. In terms of work, obviously, when you're working in the Middle East, a lot of our clients or the work tends to come actually from, from the Middle East itself. So we do a lot of work with Saudi, for example. Saudi is booming right now. There's a lot of changes going on. And so a lot of law firms in Dubai do get a lot of their work from Saudi, not exclusively from the UAE, actually. And of course, you're working with your international offices as you would in London. So I, when I was working in Dubai, I would work with the German office, with the London office. So it's still very, it's still very much an international vibe, still very much, you know, US law firm experience. It's just a smaller, smaller offices, I guess, generally being in Dubai or probably anywhere in, you know, an international office, unless you're in a massive city or hub, generally the offices abroad tend to be a little bit more smaller. So you're a little bit close knit, you know, everybody kind of get a family experience. Maybe that's why it feels a little bit more laid back. You know, everyone knows each other. It's actually a really lovely environment. I would say, Probably from quality of work, you get fantastic work in the Middle East, but generally speaking, clients in London do tend to be a little bit more sophisticated. So sometimes, you know, I have young lawyers or aspiring lawyers, they want to come to Dubai. I often advise them, I often say, you know what, try and get some experience in London first, because it will really help you in the long term with your career in the Middle East, because you can't really beat the London experience in that respect. Yeah. Moving on to languages, you speak multiple languages, which is great. I believe English, Arabic, French. So whilst working in private practice in Dubai, did you get a chance to use all of them? As I know, a lot of lawyers, for example, in Dubai, are say not fluent in Arabic and French, but still practice out there. So for people less familiar, what sort of opportunities did you have to use your languages? Yes, I, I did have the opportunity to use my languages, actually. Not on an everyday basis. It certainly wasn't regular, but occasionally I did. I would say more so the Arabic than the French. Obviously, being based in Dubai, you would probably expect that. So most of the time, it would happen when I was doing due diligence for an M&A transaction. Most of the documents would be in English, but sometimes we would have Arabic documents. That could be you know, the constitutional documents of a company. It could be a tenancy contract, whatever it is. So I would sometimes need to review those documents in Arabic at least for the purpose of putting together a due diligence report. In terms of French, I remember using it a few times just to review contracts, most of the time from a translation perspective to kind of translate the text for a senior lawyer who needed to understand what the contract said. Um, But French, not so much. I would say Arabic was definitely used more so. I think in terms then of moving on from your career, from private practice, You then made a very exciting move really to get more immersed in the startups world. And I think this is where you're providing legal advice to founders of emerging companies across the MENA region and internationally. And also, I believe, again, sort of contributing to the sort of automation of startups, legal expertise and things like that. So do you want to tell us a bit more about that work and, and those experiences? Yeah, sure. Like you said, I have an interest in the startup world in venture capital. And so I felt that the best way to immerse myself in that and to learn more about this you know, area of law was to join a legal tech startup, something I never thought I would do, actually. You know, when I was a trainee, you always have this vision of you're going to join a firm and you're going to stay there forever and you're going to become partner. Um, but I've, I've come to realize that you can't always plan your career like that. 
And so the general approach that I've taken to my career is to go for opportunities where, where I can really learn. So I very much focus on the learning. And in this case, I really wanted to, to learn more about uh, startups and VC world. So I joined the legal tech startup, still very much doing private practice work, which is one of the things that appealed to me about the role because it was still using the skills that I had acquired doing transactional work, but it was just aimed at startups. So advising startups on their funding rounds, their series seed rounds, their series A, their series B, and, you know, liaising with startups, getting to kind of meet fantastic startups, actually, in lots of different industries, mainly tech, um, and also meeting investors. Very exciting stuff. And also getting to work on a platform which is looking to automate the legal tech experience. So in addition to the legal, I'm also kind of gaining some knowledge of the tech side, I guess, and what goes into product development, which is very interesting for me, having come from private practice. Very different, but lots of lots of learning. So um, yeah, I've definitely enjoyed that experience. With a lot of kind of future legal professionals listening in, as well as current practicing legal professionals, what would you say from your experiences and what you've seen are some of the maybe the, the key skills that are going to be required from sort of legal professionals in terms of what do you think are some of the key things? So you know, going forward, I mean, first of all, the same skills that we've always, you know, said, to be honest, will still be needed. Commercial awareness, project management, none of those things are going to die. Law firms are still going to be looking for them. I guess now there is a focus, for example, on I wouldn't say coding as such. There is a debate on whether or not lawyers need to code. But at least I think maybe general awareness or general knowledge of tech and how tech is impacting the legal industry um, and how we can use it to improve the delivery of legal services. So I think just having a general awareness of that is important. And I would say adaptability is another skill that I think is very important. Again, law firms are having to adapt themselves and having to change to meet client demands. And so as lawyers, you you also need to be able to, to do the same, whether that's adapting to the use of technology or whether that's just adapting generally. And, you know, there are many ways in which we have to adapt as lawyers. You might have to adapt your practice area, for example, uh, depending on, you know, the market. So I think that's definitely something. And obviously with COVID having hit, people having to adapt to work from home. So I think just showing that you're versatile and flexible is is always a skill that's going to be beneficial. Otherwise, as I said, I think I think the same skills as usual, commercial awareness, project management, teamwork, communication skills, um, all of that is, is still going to be required going forwards. Great stuff. Yeah, and I completely agree. I think there are just certain basic skills that are going to be needed that are going to be here indefinitely. And thanks for highlighting some of the additional ones. As I mentioned in the introduction, you keep yourself very, very busy. So we must talk about other things that you're involved with, because I also understand you're a lecturer and a faculty member of the Chancery Lane Institute for Professionals. So tell us more about that and your your role there. So um, I came across an opportunity to teach the initially the QLTS with CLIP, which is basically another startup, actually born out of Dubai that, you know, we have a lot of lawyers in Dubai who may be qualified abroad, mainly, you know, in Arab countries, but also Australia, for example, New Zealand, or we may want to qualify under English law for various reasons. It also 
teaches the GDL. And of course, now with the SQE coming into place, it looks like I'm going to end up teaching the SQE very soon as well. But um, I was I was asked if I would be interested. And uh, yeah, I thought, why not? I wouldn't say I ever thought that I would teach either. My mum, you know, has been a teacher. So I kind of thought, oh, let's 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 try it out. I'm always open to new opportunities. I think I think that's my approach. And what I was surprised when I started the teaching was how much I enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed engaging with the students, helping them to kind of reach the answers. You're dealing with very intelligent people, lawyers, so they're always asking you tricky questions and you have to think on the spot. So it's actually a really, really great experience. And yes, I continue to do that on the side. I try to do it on the weekends, evenings where possible. So I do keep myself busy, but I think if you enjoy what you're doing, that's the main thing. You don't really ever get tired of it. Yeah, no, couldn't agree more. You've got to be passionate about what we do. And I know the other thing that you're passionate about is your hit YouTube channel, The Door to Law. So do you want to tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So again, (laughs) I don't really know how this came about. It wasn't planned, but I just felt like I wanted to do something in addition to my day-to-day job. Um, I think I've always taken that approach. If I think back to when I was younger at school, aside from academics, I've always been quite creative and you know, I played the clarinet and been in the dance club and so on. I think this was a way for me to use that creative side to have the opportunity to meet some fantastic people um, on the door to law. So I interviewed incredible lawyers or just people who work in the legal industry, not necessarily, you know, it doesn't have to be lawyers, but anyone really in the legal profession also interview startups. And the aim is really just to, to highlight what's going on in the legal industry right now. I actually interviewed one of the founders of the legal tech startup that I'm at. You know, we talked about the impact of technology on the legal industry, for example, which is a big thing. I also did a video on the importance of adaptability in the legal profession, which I mentioned earlier on. So it it is kind of tailored towards students, but also people just more generally in the legal profession. And I I really, really enjoy it. Again, I I love meeting people, networking and also and helping, you know, students as well. I get a lot of feedback from students saying they find the videos helpful. And if I can help even just one person, then that's great. And I can vouch for that. I think it's great. So I definitely encourage our listeners to to check out the, the Daughter Law as well. And you really do not stop there because you are a big believer in giving back and you are mentor for Grow Mentoring. So for those less familiar, uh, what's Grow Mentoring all about? And tell us more about your role with them. So Grow Mentoring is a really fantastic initiative, which actually I think I came across, first of all, on Instagram (laughs) of all places. Social media is a a great way of actually, I think, and now if if you look at social media right now, the legal industry is actually doing a lot. A lot of the students as well, in particular, I have to commend, there are a lot of law students doing amazing things on social media. And Grow Mentoring is an, an initiative that was formed by someone who is actually currently a trainee at Allen & Overy. And I reached out to him and uh, you know, he very kindly paired me with a mentee. So the whole purpose of Grow Mentoring is to pair legal professions with aspiring lawyers. And you dedicate, you know, at least I think one hour a month on a call with your mentee to advise them or guide them on whatever they need, whether it be help with application forms or interview techniques, or just to kind of reassure them sometimes, you know, that they can actually get into the legal industry. It takes a lot of hard work, but it is possible. 
sometimes it's just a case of encouraging them. And I absolutely love it. Again, it's a way to give back. In particular, you know, for me, being somebody who did come from quite a modest background, I didn't have parents that were lawyers or, or anything like that. So it's nice to be able to mentor students from similar backgrounds to me and kind of really encourage them and, and inspire them. Yeah, and I think you're doing a cracking job of that. And I guess if you could give maybe just one piece of advice to your junior self to put you on the spot a little bit, what would it be? Not to worry too much, I would say. I think we all put a lot of pressure on ourselves and especially starting out you know we're nervous we don't really know what it's going to be like in the legal industry or any profession actually when you when you come out of university you have really no clue until you start working so everything is new and you know if I need to do this or I need to do that and really you don't you can't plan things like I said I mean I ended up at a tech startup I never thought I would do that things just have a way of working out really so I would say work hard do your best obviously you know have goals but also know that you know you can't control everything and I think COVID-19 has has taught us that. Couldn't agree more I think you know people put a lot of immense pressure on themselves and sometimes just taking a step back and running your own brace is, is really sage advice so thanks for sharing that and just as we look to sort of wrap up you touched on that earlier actually when you were mentioning Instagram so Social media, you know, how beneficial do you think that is for, for you as a legal professional? And would you encourage other lawyers, in-house counsels, people connected to the legal industry who are not embracing social media platforms to do so? Yes, I would actually. And there are a lot of great accounts on Instagram. But I would say also not to forget LinkedIn, which I think is a fantastic social media tool as, as well, um, particularly for people within the legal profession who want to build a profile for themselves. I think the times that we're in now, branding is, is very much in right now. I mean, maybe 20 years ago, not something lawyers would think about, but right now personal branding is, is really important and very helpful as well for your own career development. If anything, just posting on LinkedIn helps you build some kind of community. I've met a lot of fantastic people. I came across you, Rob, through social media. So it's just proof that you can meet some fantastic people. You can build your learning, your knowledge. So I definitely encourage people to use social media and whatever you know they feel more comfortable with, whether it is LinkedIn or whether it's Instagram, which I think tends to appeal more to the students. But yeah, definitely embrace it. Don't be scared of it. I'm a big advocate in particular for LinkedIn, as, as, as many people know. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm delighted we managed to connect through the, the channels of social media, as do a lot of our guests and followers. So I'm, I'm a big endorser of that as well. So as we sort of look to close, Donya, outside of all of the things that you do, keeping yourself so, so busy, what do you do for downtime? Do you have any quirky hobbies? Anything you'd like to share? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I... I actually love to just get out in nature, to be honest, especially as I get older. I love going for long walks in the countryside, being in the green. Obviously, being in Dubai, there isn't too much greenery, I have to admit. So often when I'm choosing my vacation, it will be somewhere quite exotic. Either, you know, kind of in the middle of a forest or I love to be by the sea as well. Also, I really uh, enjoy just spending time with my family, to be honest, and with my friends. I think that's really important. You know, when you're working and you're so busy, you don't always have time. I do, you know, like taking up various hobbies. You know, I'll kind of try join a choir for a few months. I've done that in the past. I've joined dance clubs in the past. I'm always one to try something new. So whatever is available, I'll try it. Great stuff. And yeah, I, I can definitely vouch for you taking on 
lots of uh, hobbies and keeping yourself very active. So listen, Donya, thanks a million for coming on. It's been a real pleasure listening to your journey. It's been very, very inspiring. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to take a lot from this discussion. So wishing you all your wider pursuits and career, lots of continued success. But for now, from all of us on Legally Speaking Podcast, over and out. Thank you, Rob. Thank you so much.